0: We are in Lent at the moment. Today is what liturgical churches would refer to as the second Sunday of Lent, which is the period leading up to Easter. At this time of year, I normally try to make sure that we give some thought to the events of the Easter narrative. Why do I do that? Well, a few years ago, I was speaking to someone who teaches in a church primary school who had been asked by another teacher to explain what Easter is about, as the other teacher had no idea at all of what the narrative was. Um, And I've made it my life's work to make sure that people who hear from me get soaked in the narrative of Scripture so that they are better able to understand something of what God's doing in this world. So today I'm going to take a brief look, it's going to be shorter this morning, at a turning point in one of the Gospel narratives and unusually, uh, and this may shock some of you, so please make your sit- make sure you're sitting down at the moment. I'm going to look at just one verse, um, but I am going to set it in context. So in my Bible reading, each day except Sunday, I normally read one chapter of the Old Testament, one chapter of the New Testament and a chapter of Psalms or Proverbs. And for the last four weeks or so, I've been in Luke's Gospel In my Old Testament reading, I've just started on Leviticus, which is slightly harder work. But as I was going through Luke, one verse in particular stood out to me. And that verse is Luke chapter nine and verse 51, which says this. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Um, The the Greek literally says he set it. determinedly set his face for Jerusalem so Jesus makes this firm decision to head for Jerusalem so let's think about this verse about its context and about its implications so in context terms it's immediately before it in chapter 9 and verses 28 to 36 we have what's known as the transfiguration Jesus takes Peter and John and James up a mountain to pray. And while they're there, Jesus is transformed, appearing in awesome brightness. And Moses and Elijah appear and they speak with Jesus about what the Bible calls his departure or his taking up into heaven. Again, the words translated departure, there's more of a taking up sense to that word. And after Peter slightly misses the point of what's going on and makes a suggestion about doing some mountaintop DIY, they're covered with a cloud of glory, the cloud of the glory of God. And God speaks to them and he says, this is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. And after the verse that I just read, we have from chapters 10 to 19, the journey to Jerusalem and the the events that we remember at Easter, Jesus' death and resurrection. They also travel through Samaria, which is hostile territory. And in fact, um, if you look at a Bible map, I probably should have put one on the slide, but if you look at a Bible map for this journey, you will see that they start heading through Samaria and then suddenly shoot off to the east and go down the Jordan because it is so hostile and they're not welcomed or Jesus isn't welcomed in samaria jesus also in in the next chapter sends on the 72 ahead of him and that whole passage or not passage that whole section of luke's gospel through from chapters 10 to 19 we see an intensification of the opposition towards jesus we start seeing the scribes the pharisees and the leaders traveling up from jerusalem to try and catch him out Uh, And one thing to note is that this verse, some commentators would say, is a turning point in the narrative in Luke's account of Jesus' life. Up until now, Jesus has been largely in itinerant ministry. He's been travelling around Galilee, particularly Capernaum. Uh, But from this point forwards, everything else is directed towards what will happen in Jerusalem. I also just want to make, briefly make the point that there are a whole load of, or there are, I I think there are a whole load of um, Elijah resonances in this part of Luke's gospel. So, first of all, we have Elijah appearing on the mountain of transfiguration and talking with Jesus. We then have, shortly after this verse... The disciples want to call down fire from heaven when there's not much welcome in Samaria. They want to call fire down from heaven on the Samaritans, which you will remember. um, The only other person I can think of in Scripture calling down fire is Elijah. Um, So I think the disciples clearly got the Elijah connection. And the other slightly more obscure one, but some of the commentators pick up on it, is that the spirit of Elijah passed to Elisha after he was taken up into heaven and likewise the spirit the holy spirit was imparted to jesus disciples after jesus ascension into heaven and the whole conversation on the transfiguration was about jesus ascension or his his taking up into heaven i personally find it interesting that jesus that sorry that luke says as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven jesus resolutely set out for jerusalem it doesn't mention the easter events at all but it looks right past them into his being taken up into heaven it's actually looking at an event that we in the protestant world almost completely ignore uh, but one which um, which must be of significance and all the more so as it was the primary topic of conversation between Jesus, Moses and Elijah on the mountaintop. Just think if three of the most significant people in, in the history of God's dealings in this world get together, um, the topic of their conversation is actually quite an important thing, isn't it? Um, you wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought, just thinking about it, that if Jesus, Moses and Elijah got together together, the topic of conversation would be jesus being taken up into heaven but that's actually what they talk about now jesus disciples probably had a very different understanding of what would happen when they got to jerusalem they were expecting the messiah to be revealed and to be vindicated they were expecting not just a triumphant entry into Jerusalem, but the vindication of Israel, the Romans being removed and glory all the way. Um, They were expecting just victory after victory after victory when they got to Jerusalem. But actually, when we think about what Jesus faced in Jerusalem, it was pretty horrific. He faced a trial in a kangaroo court with cooked up evidence. He faced beating and flogging, he faced an absolutely horrific death, yet this verse tells us he set his face resolutely to walk into all of that. The meaning of the word here is that Jesus set himself resolutely or determinedly. Um, one translator has recently tried to to say that the translation should be that. He passionately determined. That is not what the Greek says at all. It's saying that he resolutely set himself. He made a firm decision that this was what he was going to do. Um, Just a brief word on Bible translations. If you when you're choosing a Bible translation, please, please, please choose a translation that is written by a team of people, not a translation that's written by one person. Those one-person translations are fine for, if you like, devotional reading, for helping to emphasize certain aspects of the text, but they do tend to read in the the theology of the person doing the translation. So examples of translations by teams are the NIV, the NRSV, the ESV, the CEV, Um, ask me for others if you want to, Um, but. Translations that are done by one person, you have to be extremely careful with. Uh, I'm thinking of making a video on picking a, a Bible translation and going into that a bit more because um, it's a whole subject in itself. But Jesus sets himself resolutely or determinedly to head towards Jerusalem. He makes that decision. Um, setting his face as as the greek literally says to do what is difficult he sets his face not in spite of the difficulty but because of the difficulty and jesus in setting his face resolutely here is knowingly walking into an absolutely horrific situation yet he went ahead and he did it for you for me and for the whole of creation I find that incredible, that actually that setting of his will and his determination to do that, knowing what he faced. So as I've kind of reflected on this verse over the last few months, I've I've had several thoughts on it. One is that we can be like the disciples or we can be like Jesus. For Jesus, fulfilling all that he had to fulfill involved pain, it involved suffering and it involved death. And for many Christians down through the ages, fulfilling their call in God has involved pain and suffering and death. For many Christians today, that's also true. If you're a believer in China, North Korea, Pakistan or much of the Arab world, you're likely to come under severe pressure, imprisonment or labour camps. Uh, In much of India, Christians are coming under increasing pressure and a number of Christian charities have had to stop operating in India as it's very difficult now to get funds to Christians there. And as we approach Easter, we reflect on what it cost Jesus. And if we're truly disciples ourselves, we reflect that this walk comes with a cost to ourselves as well. The disciples, on the other hand, saw the journey to Jerusalem in terms of being vindicated for their following of Jesus. They've even been arguing in verse 46 about who's the greatest, So who's going to be where in the pecking order when they get to Jerusalem, Um, who's going to be the chancellor, who's going to be the foreign secretary and so on. And there are strands of thought in the wider church today that seek to airbrush out the cost of following Jesus to make it all about finding our destiny, experiencing nothing but blessing and living in nothing but victory. Sometimes survival is victory. That kind of victorious living teaching makes life very very difficult for people who are struggling because they're so often made to feel as though they're an inferior kind of christian i know in one of the darkest moments in my life someone said to me sometimes survival is victory there's also no resurrection without the cross and no glory without the grave on the other side of the lenten easter coin though is that there is glory beyond the grave There's resurrection beyond the cross and there's ascension beyond the agony. We belong to a tradition that rejoices in Easter Sunday, but likes to avoid Good Friday. Uh, There's no Easter Sunday without Good Friday, but there's no point in Good Friday without Easter Sunday. While some traditions rather overdo Good Friday, in my view, a healthy approach to the events of Easter draws on both it draws on both what it cost Jesus to die and the victory of the resurrection and also it is incomplete I think without our looking on to the ascension Um, I think it's only the Roman Catholics and the Anglicans around here who actually mark the ascension Um, I'm not saying that we should do something fancy for that But actually, there is significance in Jesus' ascension into heaven, as well as in his death and his resurrection. So I pray for us that we'll have that resolution and that determination to face all that God calls us into. He calls us into the glory, but he also calls us into the pain. Um, And being followers of Jesus involves both. Uh, And if we have a theology that looks only for the glory, the victory and the blessing, we will miss something of what it means to be followers of Jesus. Um, And we will also marginalise and alienate people who are themselves struggling. Because actually Jesus went to the marginalised and the alienated. So I'm I'm going to stop there uh, and... Hand back to john in just a moment but if it's okay john i'll pray first father we we do want to thank you for the lord it Je- well, it's a ridiculous thing but we do thank you for the lord jesus for all that he has done we spend our lives thanking you for that and our worship thanking you for that and lord we as we ponder this morning on this this one verse of jesus determining to go ahead with all that faced him in Jerusalem. We come again to thank you. We come again in awe for all that you've done. And Lord, I do wanna pray that you will make us believers whose lives, whose thinking and whose understanding incorporates the cross, the grave, the resurrection and the ascension. Lord, we can, in different Christian traditions, we can focus on one or the other of those but I do want to pray that you will make us truly Easter people who understand what it meant for Jesus to die, who understand what it meant for him to rise from the dead, and who understand what it meant for him to ascend into heaven, where he's now seated at at the right hand of the Father. Lord, I do want to pray that as we go through this Easter period once more, you will expand our understanding, you will expand our hearts and our spirits to understand and to grasp something of what that meant amen